Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. I also want to thank uh, Pastor Jim who preached last week. Uh, yeah. I haven't, I haven't been able to listen to it yet, but I'm going to be doing that this week, and we'll get his message posted on here. So thank you so much for, for coming and, and preaching. I heard really great things. And um, lastly, uh, for those of you who maybe you're visiting or it's been a while, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we just pray that the Lord is uh, ministering to your heart today, and um, if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you. We would love to have you. Your relationship with Jesus means absolutely everything to us, and that goes with everybody here, and that really should be the way that we think about our life, is that we look at people, even people we might not get along with, with neighbors that irritate us or coworkers, is that we can look at them and, and we can think to ourselves, their relationship with Jesus means everything to me, and that really needs to be the message of our lives. Now, <clears throat> If you're one of those that were born, you know, in the 90s or the early 2000s, I apologize, you're going to miss this one. But for the rest of us, you may remember this guy named Mike Didka. Mike Didka, coach of the Bears. And he, he was known very much for his coaching of the Bears, but I knew him more because of the Saturday Night Live skits that would have him, you know, the portraying the ultimate Bears fans, and they were always the Bears. And it was, it was such a great thing. I saw this quote of his that said, if you're not in the parade, you watch the parade, that's life. So you're either a part of it or you're watching it. You're either a part of the parade or you're just watching it, and that's life. And today, talking about a parade, and using this as an as a illustration because it's actually used in Scripture, is actually pretty fitting for the 4th of July. How many people went to a parade this week or last week? One? One parade goer? Boy, times have changed. Okay, we had some more. We had a, we had a few others. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when I was young, I was really never in a parade. I never was cool enough to do that. Um, but I loved them. I loved sitting on the curb. I loved getting candy whipped at me sometimes. I loved knowing if I could make it out before the float would run me over, if the, some of that that fell out in the street, someone know what I'm talking about. And then you'd get some of the terrible candy you would give away to your brother or sister. You know, and one of my favorite parts is I always loved it when, well, I guess number two, I always tried to figure out how the floats could go on their own. I wanted to really kind of figure out who was driving those things, but that's another story. But the other thing that was always really exciting is the people who sat on the back of those uh, convertibles, and I just thought, I can't do that. Who are these really important people that can sit on the back of a car? I just thought, these must be important people. And in fact, there was usually a pretty girl on it. And as a kid, I was so happy because they would wave at me and smile over and over again. And it just really built my self-esteem as a, as a child. And so it was just really important for me to go to parades. And uh, I don't know about you. I don't know your favorite part. But today we're going to be talking a little bit about that. 
And today, I'm, I'm, this message is uh, really for two different people. One is somebody who is discovering the cross for the first time. For the first time. Maybe they've heard the message of Christ. Maybe they've heard it many times, but they've never actually accepted the cross and what it means. And then there's those who are rediscovering. Those that maybe the light has grown dim. That, that maybe that life has been moving so quickly that something has happened and there needs to be a rediscovery of what the cross means in your life. Now, for, for me, I, I thought right away of Revelation 2 where Jesus commends the church of Ephesus and, and he says, you have had amazing perseverance. He said, you have endured hardship. And he said, you haven't even grown weary. This is to the church in Ephesus. He is saying amazing things in Revelation 2. But he says, but this I have against you. He said, you have forgotten your first love. So for us, that means that it is very possible for us to be doing the right things, for us to be worshiping, for us to be serving, for us to be helping, for us to be giving, and yet being disconnected from our first love. And I don't know about you, but I, I read that. Every single time I read that, it grips my heart. And I think, Lord, have I, have I lost my first love? And I think about that in marriage, you know, and you've been married for a long time, and you go, have, am, I, am I falling asleep at the wheel? Is there more that I could do here? There's so many different ways that we can look at this where we take things for granted. And I think as Christians, we at times we've taken the cross for granted. And I never want us as a church to be thinking of the cross as only an Easter message because it's an everyday message for us. It is an everyday message for us. This means it is entirely possible for us to go on living our lives and mistakenly, even though we love the Lord, mistakenly start moving away from our first love. So today, we are going to be invited into a parade, but in two ways. We're going to be going against Mike Didka's um, analogy, and we're going to be saying there's two ways. There's watching and there's being in. And uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually talks about this. So uh, we're going to start with 1 Corinthians. Uh, well, actually, let me just say this verse here. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This verse gave me understanding when I first read it, going, that's it. That's it. That's why people can be so violently against the cross. Paul penned these words 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. It was true then, and it was true today, and that is why it's in Scripture. And just as I listen to Christians, I also listen and read non-Christians as well, because it's very important for us to know what's going on, especially when it comes to Christian apologetics. And uh, I remember listening to um, this one uh, historical scholar that looked at the life of Jesus, and, and obviously not from a Christian viewpoint, and said, well, Jesus broke the law, and he deserved death. No questions. That, that is the way that she viewed Christ. 
Then, I remember listening to a person in a mocking tone, and this was a radio interview, and, and laughing at the idea of somebody else paying for our sins. And I just remember the tone, and, and I, my heart broke as I listened to this individual just start sharing and saying, my sins are my sins. How could my sins be somebody else's? The cross is foolishness for those who do not believe, but to us who are being saved, it is the power. Yet, a Christian looks at a cross, at the branding of this crude device meant for death, meant for torture, an object so cruel and inhumane that the devil himself must have given the idea to man. But the idea of wearing a cross around our neck is essentially equivalent to wearing an electric chair as a necklace. The cross is a, simple, a symbol of hate. It's a symbol of wickedness and torture. Yet somehow, the cross has been undone for us today. It was changed into a symbol of love. Only God himself could have changed something that was meant for destruction as something that we now view as hope. It is a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of the greatest act known to mankind, that God the Father sent his son, Jesus, as our replacement or as our substitute. The cross has broken sin and eternal death, or what the Bible calls our second death, so we don't actually have to go through our second death. We die once and we're in with Christ. So that we can, in fact, have eternal life with our creator, Christ our Lord. The cross is a sign of his leniency. The cross is either our barrier or it is our entry point. Let me say that again. The cross is either our barrier or it's our entry point. And what is it for you? What is it for you? Colossians 2, starting at verse 9. Tegan, I have those up there. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. We're going to talk about that power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. So remember, he's talking to Jews. So bringing in the dialogue and conversation of circumcision, which was so important to these people to understand that now there is a circumcision that is more important than the physical circumcision. It is something of the heart that only God can do. In which you were raised with him through your faith in the working God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave some of our sins. I'm just seeing if you're listening. God, God forgave most of, of God forgave, thank you. See, you can, you can work with me here. God forgave all of our sins. And so for some of you who are wrestling with your past, knock it off. Knock it off. 
I get it. We've got, we're cursed with memory, okay? I get it. I get it. But man, God has forgiven all of our sins, having canceled the charge, now listen to this, of our legal indebtedness. Canceled the charge of our legal. That means that Satan had legal right over us. But the cross has canceled that debt of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. What a powerful statement this is, nailing it to the cross. Nailing it to the cross. The power of the cross is more than we could ever imagine. Verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Powers and authorities. What are powers and authorities? Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, there again, authorities and powers, um, of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. I cannot tell you how many Christians I have talked to when, you know, people are asking for prayer and they feel like there might be something spiritual, something demonic going on with somebody and, and they just need prayer. And the amount of Christians that say, I am so scared of that. And I'm like, why? Why? He has given us authority by the cross over powers and authorities. He has given us authority in the name of Jesus. And we get to pray about this. I'm like, why are you afraid? I mean, yes, pray. You can pray for over here, but let's just go and lift them up in prayer and ask the Lord to deliver them. I mean, come on, people. He has set us free from legal indebtedness. The cross has nailed our sins to the cross forevermore. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We should be rejoicing every single moment of the day, knowing that we have freedom in Christ our Lord because of the cross. This is good news, my friends. So first of all, I said there's two parts of the parade. And first, the onlookers. First, this is us sitting on the curb waiting for the candy to be thrown to us, right? Jesus paraded powers and authorities, and he made a spectacle of them. These are demons. These are ungodly spirits that were created by God. And you're saying, wait a second. They were created by God? Absolutely. We know that Lucifer, known as Satan, was a beautiful, beautiful angel in charge of music. And we know that people were drawn to him, and, or the heavenly beings were drawn to him, and he thought that he was so beautiful and so great and so gifted that he should take over and usurp God. This was the first church split. And you know what God did? It, God just flicked him out of heaven. It was no big battle. It was, see you later. And it says in Revelation, if you read, it says that the dragon took a third of the stars with his, with his tail. And if you read that in the Greek, it, it talks about um, kind of like a dance, and so it was um, just like he did to Adam and Eve. He deceived them. He deceived with his beauty. And he took a third of the stars. 
So this means that these are demons. These are the spiritual powers. These are the spiritual authorities that Jesus made a spectacle of them. So back to the parade. Everybody loves a good parade. And so did the Romans. And I'm pretty sure, I didn't do research on where parades come from, but I'm pretty sure this was it. And uh, they called it a triumph. And so if you want to do research about it, it's really cool. Tons of information. It's called a Roman triumph. You want to put um, the first picture on for me, please? So what, what would happen is to get a Roman triumph, this was a huge, huge deal. So you would have to be able to follow a few uh, things. So if you're a general, you're out in war, and you get a certain amount of land, that you've captured this land because of a battle, and it now becomes um, part of Rome, this is one of the prerequisites. You also had to kill a certain amount of people. And what, from my understanding, is around over 5,000 people that had to be killed. You had to be able to um, get all sorts of merchandise to be able to make Rome richer. And then what would happen, if this was a big enough land grab, a big enough thing where big enough kings are now um, underneath Roman rule, the Senate would vote and you would get a triumph. And in this triumph, you'll see the horses. Generally, you'll see them pictured in white horses. And it would be this monstrosity of a parade. The whole place smelled of incense, and you're going to see why that's important in just a minute. It was um, a huge thing. These captives would also, the, the big name captives they tried to keep alive, if they weren't injured, they would be bringing them along in this parade, mocking them. They would make a spectacle of them. They would pretend like they were having wars, kind of like in a parade. You see th people acting things out and, and doing things. And at the very end, they would um, sacrifice to their Roman gods, and they would either put these captives to death, or they would put them in the Roman Colosseum to fight the gladiators, or they would become slaves. This was a, a, a huge deal. A lot of times they, they brought the booty or the spoils would be coming through, so all of Rome could see how great they are and how much richer they are now because of this and how great this general was. Now, later on, emperors didn't like... Uh, somebody else getting the glory. So they actually banned the triumphs happening besides for them. Um, so that's not really too surprising if you've read much of, of history with that. But it's fascinating, and Paul uses this. I'm going to read it again. This will be the third time I'm reading this verse. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. By the cross. The cross was the power. And he led the powers and authorities and he made a spectacle of them. This is a great picture. This is a great imagery of the power of God coming in as a conqueror. So why do you think we celebrate Palm Sunday and call it a triumphant entry? It was a big deal when he went into Rome. He didn't have the four horses. He didn't have four white horses that he went in, though. It was a big deal. He went in, and he went in as a conqueror, but in a different way. This is part one. That was us watching a parade. We're coming into part two now, being a part of the parade. Second Corinthians Chapter 2, starting at verse 12. Now when I went to Tros to preach, this is um, Paul, 
the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went to Macedonia. Okay, so this is a side note. This isn't um, combined really well with this topic, but this is super important for us practically speaking. Now, he said he notices that when he went to Tros that a door had been opened for him, but he didn't have peace about it. Now, a conversation I have with people all the time, Christians, is they want to know, should they do this or shouldn't they do this? Wow, I have a, a unique job opportunity. Wow, should I sell and buy this home? Should we move? Should I retire? All these type of questions, and we go, is it the Lord? Wow, I have this amazing opportunity here. Do I take it? And this is really just a unique perspective because it's not a clear-cut thing. So first of all, it's really good to know that God gives us decisions, and he allows us to make decisions. Okay? We should not be fretting over which way we go to work. Okay, God isn't really that concerned about it unless he says, don't take this route, you're right? There, there are things that God puts in front of us and God presents to us and he allows us to make decisions. He created us to be able to make decisions. And that's okay, but what's really unique here is that he said that God had opened a door for me, however, I didn't feel peace about it. And that, that is one of the, in my life and, and something that I try and counsel people with, with making this decision, do you have peace or not? And Paul's like, I went here and this door was wide open. I feel like the Lord opened it. Man, something didn't sit right. And so I left. And so I think that, that when we're into, all of us have to make decisions, right? That I think this is a unique little um, verse, couple of verses for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, if you're taking notes, of just saying, Lord, when you're making a, when you're making a decision, what should you do? And I, I shared this a few weeks ago, ran into some friends of ours, and, and uh, they've just been um, just great, positive people. They were missionaries in France, and they were, um, um, you know, the Mayos, Phil and, and his wife, and they... they feel like they're supposed to be missionaries again. And they're, I believe, in their upper 50s, are they? Mid-50s? And, and they feel like they're supposed to go back to be missionaries in Europe. And I'm like, wow, so how did this happen? He goes, well, we've just been feeling it in our hearts, and we didn't hear God say no, so we're going. I thought, wow. I said, I said Phil, I call him Dr. Phil because that's way fun. Dr. Phil, I'm going to steal that. And I'm going to use it for the rest of my life. I didn't hear God say no, and so I'm going with it. It was in my heart. And he had peace about it, and they're going for it. I just think that's a wonderful way for us to look at. Okay, back on. We're talking about the cross. Verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as what? Captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma Remember all that incense throughout the streets of the knowledge of him everywhere. Verse 15, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, uh, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. 
wow, this is so rich going back to this parade. So now we are invited into the parade. So verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us, Paul's writing us, including himself, as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Paul now places himself and us as the object of defeat. This is a major barrier or hurdle of the cross. And this is where a lot of us get stuck when it comes to the cross. By being led as a captive in Christ's triumph. Friends, Christ is the victor. Christ is the authority. He is the conqueror. In Christ, we have victory. In Christ, everything and everyone is under his feet. We are in the parade as God leads in triumph. He has already won. The cross was a definitive defeat. Why is that important? Just like it was in Rome. They would not put some kind of uh, triumph together if it wasn't definitive. It had to be certain. And he went through and led the powers and authorities, and he made a spectacle of them. We, this is why I believe Paul says, I die daily. Yes, he was in prison at, at times when, when he wrote these letters, but he was also writing a different type of captivity, a captivity of being God's prized possession. And he says, it is no longer I that live, but he that is within me. The cross is the power for those who believe. It is the power for those who believe. And this today is why I chose to have communion at the end of the service, is because how can we talk about the cross in this way and then not follow up with something tangible for us to be able to celebrate and worship God with. Amen? So if you want to prepare your hearts right now. It wasn't long after Jane and I were married and I wanted to have her go to um, North Dakota to the Assemblies of God Bible camp there um, in Devil's Lake. And I wanted her to go there because as a kid, the Lord really spoke to me in, in my life, and it, was, it really marked me as a, as a young person. And um, we were, we ended up signing up and counseling like a kid's camp there, and uh, but this time we were going, I guess this time we were going to a family camp, and my parents were there, and I had some relatives, my grandparents were there, and, and I was driving um, our little 1998 Chevy Prism, Anyone, someone knows that. It's an amazing little car, just never dies. And I'm driving it, and Jaina's next to me sleeping, and Liam is a little baby, and he's sleeping in the back seat, you know. And, and I said, Lord, when I was a kid at this camp, you, 
I felt like you called me into ministry, whatever that means. And I never knew. The Lord never gave me any, like, hey, you're going to do this or you're going to do that. And I would cry and say, Lord, what is it? I don't know. And by this time, I mean, I'm working and I didn't have the education at that point and I'm lost. I'm like, Lord, you put it on my heart and is it gone? I said, is that, is that there anymore? And I, I, was, I was heartbroken. I felt like maybe there were things that I had done and sins that I had done that made it where his calling was revoked from my life. It was really hard. And um, what happened that weekend marked me for the rest of my life because as my wife was sleeping and Liam's sleeping in the back seat, I said, Lord, I'm going to just make a crazy audacious prayer. If you still have some kind of calling on my life, I'm going to ask that you call me out of a crowd. Now, this was a ridiculous prayer for me because never in my entire life had I ever been highlighted or called out of anything. And we go to our first evening service there at camp and I had like 20 people from my family just, you know, it's it's like an old barn. You guys know what that place looks like and before it was redone, they taught many times. They're just amazing children's evangelists over here. And... We're, we're not even up front. We're just in the back. And the preacher, I, don't, I couldn't pick him out in a crowd. He stopped the service and he pointed at me and started saying stuff. I have to be honest with you. I don't know a word that he said. And I don't care. Because God heard a young man's prayer from his 1998 Chevy Prism. And then I cried and I wept and I sat down going, Lord, you love me. Lord, you haven't, you haven't put me into the back of a cargo van. And then to make it worse, he then stopped his sermon again and called me up two other times after that. If I wasn't crying hard enough at that point. But, but here's what's interesting. We left there and Jaina was mad. She's like, why didn't God call me? <laughs> but it was 10 years after that before anything even started to happen 10 years after that do you know how difficult that is we just did the best that we could and I didn't plan on sharing that today but you know I think that there's somebody here that that may feel like they've like me maybe my sin was too much and God changed his calling. And that's just not the case. Our sins were nailed to the cross. Not some, all. Your sins have been forgiven if you have given him your life, if you have allowed him to be the victor over you. The cross is either our barrier or it's our entry point. What is it for you? What is it for you? You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.